Hello folks, I'm Elijah. This is the What Are You All About podcast. Today we had Riley Wingate on the show. We discuss everything from homeschooling to how he came to faith and wandered away, then came back to why house shows are amazing. So it was a great episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hello folks, I'm Elijah. Today we have Riley Wingate on the podcast. How are you doing, Riley? I am absolutely fantastic. How are you doing today? Not bad. I had the best nap ever today, so I'm doing pretty great. <laughs> I'm really jealous of you. I've been running for a long time today already, but that that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yes. So on this show, we discuss what folks are all about. And I think the best way to kind of phrase that is what are you passionate about? So Riley, how do you describe what you're passionate about? Well, um, the best way for me to describe what I'm passionate about is um, by saying that I'm, I'm extremely passionate about music uh, in general. Um, obviously, uh, I'm a drummer uh, for a data yeah. and and drums are my life. That's what I do for a living. It's what I what I love doing. And it's uh, been my pursuit for a very, very long time, both um, both in personally and also in my professional career. Uh, so I've been very blessed and very fortunate to be able to, uh, call music a career for myself, um, both in the metal scene and also in other scenes as well. Um, but I, I would say the best way to put it is I'm all about music and all about drums. So, yeah. How did you get into playing drums and all that stuff? Yeah. So I started playing drums when I was, um, when I was 13, I got a drum set when I was 10. Uh, my yeah. parents surprised me for Christmas. Um, and, uh, I was, I was pretty enamored by it right away. My brother who was also in the band, Thomas, he's actually the guitarist, uh, for abated, but he actually started playing guitar, uh, when, um, when we were young, probably when I was nine or 10, he started and he's a year and a half older than me. So I thought, okay, I'd love to pick up a musical instrument too. So my parents bought me a drum set when I was 10 and I didn't really seriously pick it up until I was 13. And, uh, at that time I was going to a small church in a little town called Woodbury, which is outside of Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. And, um, it's probably about an hour and a half outside of Nashville. Um, okay. and, and there was a, uh, there was a little church and we started going to youth group there. And, uh, I immediately was like, I got to get into this band because it was a small Baptist church <laughs> yeah. and they had a little electronic kit. There was nothing special about it at all, but it was, it was a way for me to perform and for me to play. And, and I was always enamored by it and just ready to dive into that side of it. So I started playing in the worship band at this small church in Woodbury when I was, uh, 14 years old. And then, um, my family did a transition to a different church, a larger church. We call them a, a mega church uh, called New Vision Baptist Church in a little town yeah. called Murfreesboro. And uh, they did a lot of contemporary Christian worship. And uh, that was really where I started learning how to play with a click, with a metronome um, in, in a large, larger crowd. And, and, uh, and, and I really cut my teeth in the music scene at that point. And that kind of followed through. Uh, and the rest is is kind of history from that. Yeah, so you kind of started young and just you. It sounds like you got a pretty early shot at playing live. It's not yes, people get to do that. Yeah, and I I was very fortunate, and actually I I um 
I attest a lot of, of my playing ability and my knowledge when it comes to music through church. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I it, it's definitely, it was a great opportunity for me to learn in a quick way. I, I got, I got hooked up with, um, with some musicians up in Nashville who were blues artists who played in some larger bands back in the nineties. And, um, they needed a drummer and a, a, and a bass player, which my brother also plays bass, um, for, uh, some studio session work in Nashville yeah. for some, for some blues stuff. And so we got to go in there and I learned a lot from that, but most of my musical, uh, knowledge from the very early age of like 10 to 13 came from church. So I was really fortunate to be able to get into that. Yeah. What was it like playing with a bunch of blues musicians? Yeah. Well, blues musicians are, are a, a really cool group. You know, they, they, uh, they are, they're really driven by the feel of the music versus yeah. uh, the technicality aspect. Although I will say a lot of blues guitarists are some of the most shredding guitarists mm-hmm. that you've, that you've met. Um, but blues musicians are great. The, the artists that are the, actually the music that I worked with or the album that I recorded was, uh, by this band called black mountain prophet. And actually it's on Spotify. You can find it still, okay. but that is, uh, that is something that you can find. It's, it's just straight blues. Me and my brother, Thomas were credited on about five songs off of, I can't remember what the album is called. I think it might've been self-titled, but it's, it's on Spotify under the name black mountain prophet. If anybody wants to check it out, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so what was your first experience playing in a live setting that wasn't church? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so there's actually, so when me and I was, I grew up homeschooled. Um, yeah. So we didn't, we, uh, me and my brother uh, and my my younger sister who who plays a little bit of music, but, but uh, who's not in any of the bands. Um, but we grew up and so we didn't have like a group of people that we were playing with uh, through school. And I thought that was kind of a travesty when I was younger. So we actually sought out a program called rock block, which was a really cool program back in the data. I'm sure it's still going now, but it was something where they, they paired up teenagers and, and kids in, in the same age group and they put them all in a band together. And then they said, okay, go learn, you know, or write a couple songs and then you'll be able to perform these songs and so we actually got to go and after about three weeks uh or three no it was longer than that it was about about five weeks five weeks of rehearsing and getting to like first meeting these musicians figuring out these songs rehearsing the songs we got to go and perform at this venue called third and lindsley in downtown nashville which was a really cool experience yeah and um actually one of the one of the guys who ran the the little group that I was in, um, the, he was, he, he's a, actually a, a, an accomplished musician now and ended up running a venue that abated has played at many, many times. So it was kind of a cool connection for us to make, but that was, I, I can't say I was more than 15 years old, uh, when we first got to play at a live venue, downtown Nashville, which was super cool. Yeah. Do you remember what that whole performance was like? It was, uh, it was nerve wracking. Um, it, <laughs> to say the least. Well, and, and see, and you know, after playing at church, I mean, you know, I was used to playing in front of crowds, but not, but not like in, you know, Nashville is known as music city. I mean, it's yeah. mostly, mostly country music, but still music city. 
and there were a lot of people there and uh it was it was really cool I, we went up and we played like a fallout boy song and um <laughs> <laughs> like some some dumb stuff like that but at the time i was a rock star i was playing you know sugar we're going down uh, in front of like a bunch of different people and um it was really really cool and, and i right then you know obviously i had the bug because i stuck with it through church and all that but yeah. it really it really was a a driving factor to uh to be able to jump on that stage and be able to do that stuff yeah that's fantastic you said you're homeschooled how would you describe what that's like to someone who doesn't know anything about that world yeah yeah absolutely so my homeschooling was a little bit different you know from what i understand there's a a, a stigma with uh with people who are who are homeschooled that they have no social skills or they're <laughs> they're all isolated like out in the country which i grew up in the middle of nowhere my parents had 12 acres in uh cannon county tennessee um we were born out we well me and my siblings we were all born in detroit michigan and we moved down at an early age to tennessee and um when we were younger we had to travel a lot uh thomas my brother uh the guitarist the lead guitarist innovated he actually has a rare medical condition where one of his muscles in his neck is uh shortened and um okay. so he had to have the special therapy done now you would never know anything's weird or odd about him if i didn't tell you because yeah. obviously you can't tell just by looking at him um but he uh he had to have special therapy done on his neck and his therapists were all over the country um and we would travel three to four months be on the road three to four months out of the year because living in tennessee these doctors were in out or in new mexico in michigan and washington state which were you know a week drive away one way so Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have the opportunity because we would be gone too long on the road to be able to have a normal, like public school career, if you will. Um, yeah. so we, the way that we did it was at the beginning of the week, um, my parents would, my mom mostly would give us all the homework, all the schoolwork to do. We would go through and do our work. We would check our work. And, um, then we would at the end of the week kind of give a synopsis of what happened throughout the entire week. It was a really, really great learning experience for me to, to gain the knowledge of uh, managing my own schedule. Cause at 15 years old, I was basically, you know, working a part-time job, full-time uh, school. Obviously I was in high school. Um, yeah. And then also playing music. I got to record, I got to go out and perform a lot. And it allowed me to, to learn at a young age that balancing a schedule it's an art form and uh, you really have to learn how to love it. So. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it was out of necessity. It wasn't just like. Well, it was a, it was a necessity, yeah. but it also was a choice. My parents yeah. uh, were, were fond of, were not fond, I should say of the schooling system in Tennessee. Yeah. They wanted to allow us to have a, uh, them to have a hands-on approach of, Hey, we're going to, teach our children how to, you know, do math and do uh, decide what curriculum yeah. and be a little bit more attentive to how we learn. And I feel like that was a big benefit um, to me as a human. Uh, I, I'm really appreciative of my parents. Now, when I was younger, uh, my only social life was church. So it was kind of, it was yeah. kind of tough. 
uh, because I was like, oh man, I'm, I don't have any friends. You know, all my friends, I have a very small knit group of friends mm -hmm. and all of them I learned, all of them I met at church and then through just basically through church. Yeah. So yeah. And when I was younger, I thought, man, I wish I could be in public school so I could have all these friends because you see them on TV and movies and stuff like that. But at the same point, I'm very happy that the, my sphere of influence was such a great one because it was so small. I didn't have a, a, yeah. a huge wide influence around that. Yeah, it's definitely the stereotypes about homeschoolers having social skills don't really make sense because it's like they actually have to work more at their social skills because you have to learn to interact with people who aren't in your age group. And yeah. You will have a lot less things in common. So it's that's a, that's a great point. In fact, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of my friends tend to be older because I, I tend to yeah, relate to more, exactly. of, more of a, more of a mature group because most, <laughs> most of my friends, if they were not other homeschool kids that I met through church, they would be, parents or or musicians that are older than me and so on and so forth so yeah absolutely yeah. that's a great way to put it yeah that's very understandable because i've got lots of friends who are like 12 or 13 and then also like i have no problem hanging out like with all the dads at an event too and chatting through different whatever with them so it's like i'm very thankful that i have i've got this flexibility now with who I can oh so you're homeschooled as well yes Are you... I will up to this point I'm currently in college which means something else in the UK than it does over there but gotcha. until the age of 16 okay gotcha that's awesome yes yeah yeah I'm I, that's cool we're, we're we have that's that's a cool connection yes. that's awesome so cool stuff yes so what's your faith journey been like it sounds like you're raised in a Christian home and things yeah. So, um, my faith journey is, you know, I don't want to say it's textbook, but you know, it, <laughs> I grew <laughs> I grew up, my parents, um, my parents were never into, uh, religion. Uh, they yeah. were, they, uh, they grew up in Michigan and, uh, they just never really saw too much of it. And then, um, as I got older, we started having friends who we met through T-ball or whatever we were doing, you know, baseball when I was younger. Um, we would, uh, they would invite us to church and me and my siblings and my mom would go, but my dad never really went until about, uh, 2006, 2006, okay. we all decided to start going. And, um, you know, I kind of dove into it. Not only was it something that I staunchly believed, but it also was, um, as I said earlier, my only social, <laughs> my only social life. So it kind of became a, a, a huge part of, of who and, and what I am. Um, and ultimately, you know, I, I dove into church after we moved from the smaller church in Woodbury to the larger church. Um, I, me and my brother, we would play at multiple services a week. And this is a church that didn't just have a Wednesday night service and a Sunday morning service. Yeah. They had they had Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, <laughs> Saturday morning, Sunday all day. We would live at this church. Um, wow. And so we. Uh, I, I, it was such a huge part of my life growing up. Mm. Um, when I was, uh, when I was 17, I, uh, you know, I was, I was young and stupid and I, I actually got into a relationship and it, it became a big part of my life and it kind of drew, 
put a little separation between me and the church because, you know, I was, I was, you know, with this girl and she was really important to me. And I had this idea that I was going to marry her. And, um, I actually ended up, as soon as I turned 18, I ended up moving in with her and, uh, the church that I was going to at the time was not too fond of that. They, um, they ended up having a problem with it and, uh, taking me off of all of the worship teams that I was on because they didn't want me to be an example for the younger the youth of the church that, you know, Hey, I'm a worship leader, but now I'm living with my girlfriend and we're not married. And so they obviously had a problem with that. Well, when I was younger, I took a a very hard look at that. And I I was really offended. Not only was I offended, but, you know, I started looking into scripture and I had really close friends of mine say the, say, quote scriptures, or sorry, quote scriptures that, um, they would say that they wouldn't associate with me because they wouldn't associate with a non-believer. And that kind of was a real, real painful thing for me that I actually held in my heart for a long time. And so I actually, you know, when I was 18, I I took a step back from church and um, I kind of focused more on, on, on my life and pursuing my career at the time and pursuing, not even pursuing music. You know, I was pursuing this relationship which was unfortunate because it way did not work out well, <laughs> which is, you know, good for me in the long run. I look in hindsight yeah. and I think, man, that was a, a bullet dodge. I, I, I did a good thing. But at the time I, I just had it such in my head that I am, this relationship's going to happen. I'm going to marry this girl and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, ha ha, I told you, I knew I was going to do this. Now you guys have to let me back in this church. And it was a really toxic way of thinking now that I look back on it in hindsight. And um, I was very fortunate, you know, as much turmoil as it put me through being in the relationship and having it blow up in my face at the time, I was really fortunate to have a group of friends and, 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 um, and, and music in general so I, that I could pour myself into. At the time, uh, I was, uh, this is after I had joined Abated. I, I'm not the original drummer of Abated. Uh, Cade was the original drummer of Abated. Uh, but I had joined Abated in 20, 2012, 2013, and this was around that time, probably about a year before I ended up moving in with my now ex-girlfriend. And uh, I had, you know, Zach and Matt and Thomas and uh, Max at the time uh, on bass, and they were they were very, very loving and opening, open, open and uh, accepting of me as a person. And that was something that I needed. And, you know, without Abated, I would, I would say that my faith would have probably fizzled out completely. And uh, I would have taken a very large step back from Christianity uh, at the time and, and, and would have stayed away from it. After I got in my early twenties, um, you know, I kind of, I got a little bit closer to church. Uh, I had separated myself for probably about three and a half years completely. It was just a bitter, bitter subject for me, you know, of course, playing with abated, you know, I was, I was still part of it. I still believed at the time. And I still had this, this idea that, you know, I was going to eventually find myself back into a different church family, hopefully maybe even back into the same church family, but you know, it was too bitter. It was too hard at the time. Um, But uh, my faith in, in the last few years have, has come back in, in a real way. And, you know, I can't, I can't say that I'm a perfect Christian and in, in the fact that I don't, I don't swear. Or I don't do a, I don't do a ton of nefarious activities and I don't, I don't do <laughs> nefarious activities, but at the same point, you know, I, I can't say I'm a perfect Christian, but I don't know a single Christian who could, 
but I do believe exactly. in that. Exactly. You know, if you, you strive to be better every day and you, and you do what you can for fellowship and, and, um, you know, my, my ideas and my ideals have shifted over the years. And, um, you know, as younger, that, that idea of not associating with a non-believer was a, a painful thing that was said to me. So since then, you know, I've, I've always, I've always made it a point to be very open with anybody with what they believe, you know, as abated, we've, we've been able to play in a lot of really great Christian atmospheres like audio feed, a lot of churches, um, a lot of Christian festivals and so on and so forth. Uh, but we've also gotten an opportunity to play in a lot of bars in a lot of um, yeah. house shows in a lot of crazy environments that, you know, we, <laughs> we play with <laughs> bands that are like, as a Christian band over there playing at this house show in like middle of nowhere, Arkansas with short bus pileup and, and like burning nursery and stuff like that. And yes, yeah, we are. And we got to go and we got to hang out with these people and uh, not shove Christianity down their throats, but show them that, you know, maybe when they're growing up, they had churches and, and people tell them that what they're doing is wrong and that they're going to burn in hell because of it. But we weren't, condemning them for what they did you're just letting them know that hey you know we still love you we'd love to talk yeah. to you about anything and it doesn't always have to be you know shoving a cross down your throat or anything like that it can be you know hey we love you no matter what you do we would love it if you see it our way because this is what we believe but at the same point we're open to hearing what you have to say and also you know creating a relationship in that fact so yeah that's fantastic what are some of the craziest environments you guys have played in oh man um <laughs> you know you know it's uh there there we uh we have played a lot of bars um you know okay. and and that's there's nothing wrong with bars at all uh in my opinion when it comes to playing music and uh we have played in a lot of house show environments and house shows are one thing because they're really intimate they're very, uh, mm -hmm. forgive me if there's some road noise. I'm actually, uh, parked on the side of the highway. You can tell I'm in a van right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm actually heading out to California, which is about okay. a 2000 mile drive. A buddy of mine is moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually left this morning. Um, and, uh, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee right now, headed out to California to pick up a buddy who's moving back. I actually own a van and a trailer and I'm, I'm helping yeah. long story short. I'm, I'm actually in the van that Abated does a lot of their touring in um, right now. Uh, so forgive me of all the road noises. But that being said, the, um, the, the most interesting environments that we've played at, you know, we played at house shows in suburbs. There was this one that we all affectionately referred to as the mold house. Um, and, and the mold house was a two-story house in a suburb that had so much mold on the walls and um we were playing with uh, this band of borning we were on a on tour with a borning from georgia okay. and um we were in i can't remember we were in arkansas i think it was little rock arkansas and um it was just there were holes in the wall that people had been thrown through um there, there's been a lot of lot of a lot of a lot of uh, like we had to carry our equipment down a backyard that had an angle like this. And it, it was pretty crazy. That was probably the, the most interesting house show that we played at. And then um, probably the most I've never there's only been one time in my entire musical career that I've ever felt in danger 
at a okay. show. Right. And uh, that um, that was in Las Vegas. And that was actually the last large tour that Abated went on at, on the, the Hasten Revelation tour with uh, right. Taking the Head of Goliath. My Place Was Taken. Um, Broken Flesh was on a date. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, Crimson Thorn also was there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was the last date that we were playing. Um, and it was in Las Vegas. And I was a bar at a bar called the Dive Bar. And the dive bar is, is, is the seediest bar that I've ever been in, in my entire life. Um, okay. we got there, it was in a strip mall off of the strip. So it was like, not even in downtown Las Vegas. It was like off on the side outskirts of Las Vegas. And, um, there were, there were biker gangs. It was a biker gang night and they didn't realize that a Christian metal tour was going to be playing there. <laughs> And I just remember, I remember like standing out front and we had, um, a one of somebody's wife of one of the guys who was in charge of the tour, uh, was, uh, running the door. And I just remember this guy who is a very proud neo-Nazi was standing out front and like berating her about the fact that we were a Christian tour. And I just remember like being like, this is not cool. And there were there were a couple of biker gangs that had pike parked themselves right in front, and they were all like a bunch of like full patch vest bikers. And uh, this neo Nazi that was standing out front was like brandishing this weapon that he had that was like a ball on the end of like a rope, and he was like, "Yeah, man, if they ever come up and do anything, I'll be able to swing this and kill those mfers." And like I'm like, "Hey, man, like let's go, like have a good night, like we're here to have a good time." And so I just remember sitting there and talking to this guy. And trying to be like, you know, just like, hey, calm down, because he was agitated for whatever reason, too. And that was the only time I ever thought, man, this guy could start running his mouth to the wrong person and they could possibly, you know, pull a gun. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there could be a stray or something like that in this bar. And uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But that was the only time. So that one, that's probably the seediest environment that we've ever played in as a baited so yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah like, it was crazy to say the least absolutely it's like only in america would that would you have to think about someone pulling a gun on someone else yeah yeah it's um you know in america we you know not to get into the the firearm debate or anything like that but yeah. you know the right the, the right to bear arms is here and you know it is definitely one of those things that you just never know who has one and who doesn't have mm -hmm. one and i consider myself a gun enthusiast I, i'm a collector i like you know um like antique guns and stuff like that but you don't see me carrying them around yeah. <laughs> i don't have one strapped to my back right now so yes. <laughs> but it's i yeah, like in this country, Glasgow is the stabbing capital of Europe. So we're not like, we don't have like no violent crime or anything. It's like being shanked is like just the slang term for getting stabbed here. But it's Goodness. just like, we don't, just like shootings like very rarely ever happen. And it's like never something that you'd you'd think about someone having a knife on them maybe, but you would never think about somebody with a gun. gun yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm curious, how do house shows work? Because I've never quite figured that out. Do like people pay to go to them or is it just like a bunch of folks pay the bands or 
and like well, how do like the neighbors respond to that also is what i'm curious about. oh house shows yeah so, house shows so house shows are, are you know every one of them is different um yeah okay i've, I've I played in many house shows in many different bands and many different styles of bands. Um, you know, I make a career playing music and it's not through abated. Abated is like my love. Um, I actually play a lot of country music and uh, okay. also, yeah, actually I play downtown Nashville quite a bit. Um, I do a lot of touring nationally and no, no international tours as of yet, but, uh, but I play in a lot of different bands that are outside of the metal genre, but yeah. I've played in a lot of house shows both in the metal genre and not and every house show is different when it comes to okay. it. You know, sometimes, you know, it's just a bunch of group of guys that get together and they want to put on a show for their buddies and they're like, you know, invite so-and-so and invite so-and-so it's a bring your own beer event or, you know, do whatever you want to do kind of like that. And, um, but occasionally house shows will be put on where people get paid and um, so on and so forth. But for the most part, when abated would play a house show, it would be a, um, a non-paying gig. It would just be kind of, you know, if we brought merchandise, we would sell the merchandise at the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, the energy at house shows is the big selling point because you have, typically it's a living room, which is like what, a, a 12 by 12 room, or maybe, maybe if you're lucky, <laughs> yeah. like small room. And uh, you put a full drum set. Yeah, you put a full drum set, you put a guitar cab, bass cab in there, and then you pack it full of a bunch of metal heads that are ready to mosh and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And that is that is the straight energy that I just I live for innovated. In fact, um, Norma Jean, are you familiar with Norma Jean? Yeah. So Norma Jean, um, last year, or maybe the year before, I can't remember. It was either 2020 or 2021. They uh they had a house show tour. And, okay. um, and like, like recently, not like yes. when they first started, like they're <laughs> like the recent shows and they had a show that came through Nashville and they were selling tickets for like $10 a ticket. And there was yeah. like a hundred of them. And like in this basement <laughs> in the back of back of a house, it sold out in 30 minutes. And I was oh, fortunate wow. enough, I, Thomas, uh, my brother and myself and another one of our buddies that we've known forever we ended up going to that show. And I want to tell you that in that basement of a suburb of East Nashville, where Norma Jean came through and just tore the walls off of that place, it was just <laughs> absolutely incredible. And I so wish that we would have been able to get abated on that show, but we weren't able to at the time. But uh, Norma Jean, the house shows just in general are just incredible. And when Norma Jean came through and played that, God, it was awesome. So, Yeah, so the amount of questions that i've got but like when in house shows like do does the room end up getting like a little bit dented and stuff in the process you know it depends on the show okay. it depends on the crowd mostly yes um it's not uncommon for there mm -hmm. to be a, a hole in the wall after <laughs> after a metal show um we played at this venue called tfg in murfreesboro <coughs> excuse me outside of nashville quite a bit um in the earlier days like 2014 2015 abated and um this venue was in a strip mall but it was mostly just like a house show it was a very diy yeah. venue small place um and uh a buddy of ours came to the show and there was a mosh pit that was happening and he ended up falling and hitting his head on a speaker and having to go to a Ooh. hospital while we were playing like he blacked out and like landed on the floor but like 
they had to eventually put up plywood on the wall because the drywall was getting smashed through because people would grab people and throw them into the wall. Like it, it, it gets com- kind of crazy in the metal scene yeah. when it comes to house shows. And it's my favorite, one of my favorite shows uh, has been house shows. I remember <laughs> yeah. one specific in uh, Arkansas, we were playing and uh, this guy got, he got, he got wasted on something, whether it was, he was drinking or doing some sort of drug or something like that. And I just remember we started playing in this living room and there was like a half wall to the side, a ceiling fan that was the only light in the room. And then like my drum set and then the two guitar cabs next to us because I don't, uh, and Max was there too. So the bassist was there too. I remember this guy just starting to mosh and he somehow he got behind Matthew, our vocalist, and like got up to the drum set and just got down on his knees and just started punching the bass drum head. And I got so upset with this guy. I was like, my, no way. And uh, apparently other people in the crowd saw it too. Cause I was about to stop, stop the show. Cause you know, my equipment is very important to me. And you know, mm-hmm. if it's, if I knew in advance that I was going to just let somebody trash my drum kit, it'd be different. But you know, I had other shows that I had to take care of and I was not about to have somebody put a hole through my exactly. bass drum head. <laughs> So, so I was about to stop, but then I looked up and another band who had came from Tennessee, um, oh, what was their name? Animality. Animality had played that show too. They were a really cool band that has since disbanded, um, but they were there and one of their guys, I believe, grabbed him and threw him out the house, like out, like middle of nowhere, Arkansas, like it was cold and raining and this guy was just like out of his mind drunk got thrown out on his butt out in the front yard it was funny as all get out so that that was that but that's how house shows can be from time to time yeah. so have you ever had a situation where like the neighbors are here and they're just not having it you know we haven't had the cops called on us okay. yet um right but it's not it's not uncalled for or unheard of that that would happen so yeah <laughs> we've been we've been fortunate in that fact but it is not an unheard of thing so yeah that it definitely sounds like the sort of environment where it's like very much on the fringes of society but absolutely fantastic it's one of those cool things you know you definitely want to if you ever decide to go to house shows i don't know how many they have over there but if you ever do decide to go to house show just remember to keep your wits about you take a buddy um and always just be aware of your surroundings, you know, don't ever, don't ever find yourself. um, You know, if you drink, don't ever find yourself drunk at a house show because you never want to never want to not know what's going on. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I'm what I personally, I'm I'm more along the straight edge line where I don't drink I don't smoke and I don't do any drugs or anything like that. And um, I have friends who do and all that and, you know, more power to them. If if that's what they decide they want to do with their life, I'm all for it. But in my opinion, being safe is a very important thing for me. So I always am in my 100% right mind, which is great until as you know, a lot of musicians will, will drink or, you know, do whatever drug or whatever while they're playing and they'll mess up because they're either drunk or high and I have yeah. no excuses. So if I mess up, it's <laughs> yeah. just because I messed up. So I, I don't have like, I can't be like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. I missed that. It's because I'm just super <laughs> drunk right now. It's just because I'm not that good. That's apparently <laughs> why it is. So. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'm not. I think at this point I'm basically straight edge. I probably won't be like fully straight edge, but definitely like 
being very thoughtful with the amount of alcohol that I drink. Like, I'm 16, so legally, it's like, I can drink, but it's Mm -hmm. not, it's like, technically you can drink on private property from the age of five, though it's not recommended till six. Oh my goodness. Wow, that's way different than over here. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, though, it's more like you shouldn't, but we won't stop you kind of thing. If gotcha. that makes sense. Um, it, it, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of frowned upon more of a society thing than anything else. Yeah, and then once you're 16, you're it's the NHS says you can, whatever that's supposed to mean, and then you're allowed to have it with meals at restaurants and stuff if someone over 18 is buying the meal. So Interesting. That's, that's That seems like a lot of loopholes. yes indeed it's like a lot of ways that you could make very stupid decisions at the age of 16 but interesting well keep your head about you man yeah personally for me i don't i don't have any problem with anybody doing anything that they want to do as long as they're okay with me doing the same thing you know uh our vocalists and our guitarists and our bassists uh you know they all drink and they're they totally fine with it me and zach we actually don't uh zach i believe will occasionally have like a glass of wine or something like that yeah. for me personally i don't I'm, i don't drink anything but to each their own in my opinion you know if it's something that you enjoy and you can control it and it doesn't affect every aspect of your life yeah like if you exactly. can if you can drink and not be a, not, not be a drunk or be an alcoholic go ahead you know that that's that is to each their own but it's just not for me so yeah exactly if you can drink and still live in freedom then exactly yeah not be bound by the chains of it exactly that's a good way to put it i i when i was 15 i did get offered wine at a homeschool event once we were Mm -hmm. playing cards and there were just like some of the adults were having wine so i got asked do you do wine i was like powell i'm actually 15 so (laughs) i'm really i don't drink at all because of that so that is like the one <laughs> the one time I've actually been offered alcohol by the stranger was at a yeah. Christian homeschool event. And How about that, enough. right? Isn't that interesting enough? Yeah, it's um it's a it's a it's a backwards backwards world we're living in sometimes. But, <laughs> but it is funny. So yes, it's like it sounds like something that happened in an alternate universe, but <laughs> Like you're not you're not the ones you're not supposed to i'm you, you warned me about the other stuff so <laughs> that's funny yes. so i'm curious what is the funniest tour stories that you have because you've probably got a lot man you know there there's just so many you know have you seen <laughs> the have you seen the abated tour video that we put on from the 2015 tour Maybe. it's on you it's on YouTube. It's back when Max was still in the band. Yeah, it's like a 23-minute long video, okay. and um, we took it and, uh, and and just kind of took random clips. And Matthew typically put us puts it all together. But um, but that being said, there's a there's a lot of stuff that's not been not been on the uh, on the video stream. <laughs> For instance, um, one of my favorite. This was extremely frustrating at the time. It was probably one of the most frustrating times that I can picture just because it was such a high, high, um, high, uh, it, it was, it was very intense, it was a high intensity situation. 
um, yeah. we were flying back from playing Exodo Fest in Mexico. Uh, and we had played with Impending Doom and um, Sobre, Sobre Tudo, Tode Nombre. I, I keep forgetting about or how to how to pronounce their name, but the other band from, I believe, Sweden or, or Norway, one of the two. I know that I know that I know that people from Sweden and people from Norway know the big difference, but I, it, it's it's tough for me. <laughs> but that being said, um, we were playing with some cool headlining bands and we were flying back and we flew back uh from mexico city to dallas fort worth in texas and that's about a 13 hour uh, 12 hour drive from dallas fort worth to where we were where we live in Mer in middle tennessee and um we had a our the way our tickets were lined up is some of us were flying back that night and then the next and then one person was flying back, like had like a 12 hour layover by themselves and, and Dallas Fort Worth. And we didn't like that. So we all decided that we were going to rent a car and we were going to drive back from Dallas Fort Worth to Nashville. And we were all going to be home early and it was going to be fine. And it was going to work out the exact same way. So we've all had this in our head and um, I'm pretty anxious to get to it. And we get through customs and we all just had basically a backpack and uh you know guitars and i had my drumsticks yeah. and a drumstick bag uh because we're flying internationally uh and so i had our duffel bag which was a rolling duffel bag probably about you know three feet long and it had all of our merchandise in it not only did it have our merchandise and all our merch money in there and some personal items of my own and uh and zach and matt and thomas as well so i was rolling this bag and i was probably about 20 feet ahead of Thomas, Zach, and Matt. And everybody was kind of like ready to roll and we were ready to get going and all that fun stuff. And I was so ready to get going, but I was also kind of like joking around with everybody. We were outside of customs, but not quite to the next stage of like the end of the airport. Yeah. And I was rolling this bag in front of them. And just as a joke, I decided I was going to drop this bag and just let that like exasperatedly, like they were making like joking behind me or something like that. And I was going to drop this bag and just leave it for them to pick it up. And uh, like, like, Oh, Hey, Riley's ticked off or something like that. So he's just going <laughs> to drop the bag. Oh, funny, funny, funny. Well, I'm walking through this airport. We had just came out of Mexico and I had a black duffel bag that I was rolling behind me and I drop it in an airport. And <laughs> out, of, like, out of nowhere, I didn't think that was that big of a deal, but in hindsight it is because security mm -hmm. came out of nowhere. I didn't even see these people who were like <laughs> security came out of nowhere and grabbed this security. They were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, I'm sorry. It was just a joke. I, like I'm with them back there. And they grabbed this bag so quickly and like put their hand on my chest and were like, hold on, wait a minute. Like, what are you doing? Like what's in this bag? And they took this bag and they put it on a conveyor belt. And I'm explaining to them, like, it was just a joke. I promise. It was just a joke. I'm with them. There's nothing. You can search the bag. It's got nothing. It's got CDs, stickers, a T-shirt. It's got nothing. I promise. And they put this on a conveyor belt. And then we finished. They're like, okay, all right. You know, don't ever do that. And I turn around and the bag's gone. It's just mm -hmm. gone. It's on this conveyor belt in the middle of the airport. And the two security guys disappeared too they left it was like 10 o'clock on a sunday and they all and they leave and then we spent probably 
four hours in that airport trying to find where that bag was and ended up not being able to find it. We could not Ooh. find the bag. It went on a conveyor belt. Nobody could tell us where it was. I was on the phone with customer service. They said there's nothing they can do. They had to find somebody in the airport. Well, everybody in the airport had left because it's Sunday at 10 o'clock. <laughs> it was so stressful. And we were sitting there trying to figure it out. And we ended up leaving and driving over tonight to get to Tennessee. And mm -hmm. uh, at the time, it was one of the most stressful situations that we had been through. And everybody was upset at me because they're like, why did you do that? And I was like, it was just a joke. <laughs> and um, and it was a quiet ride back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but imagine. yeah, but that 12 hours in the car in the Nissan Sentra that we rented was uh, was it was a was a quiet ride back. <laughs> and um and so we get back to nashville and i ended up they ended up flying the bag back so we ended up getting it like okay, it was stinks. sunday but yeah it was wednesday we ended up getting the bag back but that is one of the one of the funnier stories of tour that i have just because my goodness it was uh it was a harrowing experience when it happened because nobody was ready for it everybody was already jet lagged i don't think zach slept in like 36 hours he was so like like when he travels he gets eye eye of the tiger no sleeping like barely eats and just like goes like just absolutely direct forward to it and uh so everybody was out of their mind tired and uh on top of it i got our bag confiscated by security in the dallas fort worth airport so yes that's that's probably one of the one of the first and foremost there's been a lot of stressful situations on tour um but you know probably no none more stressful than that moment and the dive bar mm -hmm. situation where i thought we might all get shot but <laughs> other than that so yeah have there any been any situations where like something's really something funny is happening there that's not caused by you guys or something like that or has it all been like my fault yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most of them have been my fault i will say okay. that but but i will say that there was one instance where we were driving as actually the the hasten tour um gyrus pascal who uh, puts on the hasten tour he's with mythic panda productions um yeah that he's he does a really great job at setting up all these the tours that we've been on and all that fun stuff he's one of the best guys that i know in fact when we're driving through to California, I'm actually going to be stopping and, uh, mm -hmm. and having dinner with him on the way through because he lives in Dallas. Um, but we, uh, we had set this up to where we were playing in Oklahoma city on Sunday night. And then Monday night we were playing in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, which is a significant drive. Uh, it's probably about a 10 hour drive. Um, and we were playing and closing the show at like two o'clock in the morning and then we had to uh, drive, uh, get like two hours of sleep and drive straight from Oklahoma City directly to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. And uh, it was going to be rough because we were driving in two separate vehicles. Uh, we were we were in um, Amber, our basis, um, her Kia Soul, like a little small SUV with all our luggage. And then we had rented a minivan um, that was under Zach's name. Um, and uh, so Zach and I were in the minivan and Amber, Thomas and Matt were in the Kia and we were driving from Oklahoma City to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, we were driving and Thomas, Amber and Matt got probably about 100 miles ahead of us and mm -hmm. beat us there by a significant time. But Zach and I were in the middle of 
New Mexico. And Zach was exhausted because he had not slept. He had maybe gotten 30 minutes of sleep. And, um, and he was the only one out of the two of us who could drive in drive that van because it was under his name. So I was not legally able to drive that van. And so he was like, like white knuckling the steering wheel, like this, like, and it's just a straight road in desert. There's nothing cool yeah. to look at. There's nothing to keep your attention. It's just a long road in sand. That's all it is. <laughs> and, um, so we're driving and we, we finally end up getting to Albuquerque and it's like three o'clock and we have to load in at four 30. Like we have an hour and a half to take a short nap, get back in the van, drive to the venue in downtown. And I walk up to the, I'm like, all right guys, I'm going to go in a hotel and I'm going to check in. So I walk into the hotel and I'm like, Hey, you know, we have, we have rooms or a room at the very least. And so they're like, okay, here's your key. And we get the key and we walk to the room and I'm like, finally, Zach can get some rest. That's all I care about right now. He has been so tired. I need this guy to get some rest. I turn into tour dad when I'm on the road. I, I'm like the guy who makes sure everybody eats and makes sure that everybody gets to where we need to get and all that fun stuff. But I'm like, all right, Zach needs to get some sleep so he can get up and he can be ready to go for the show. Cause we had to drive a ridiculous amount in the next day too. Um, but I, uh, we get into the hotel room and it's dirty. And not only is it dirty, there's like clothes in there and there's like somebody's should have been it. Like there were underwear in the bathroom. The bed was all messed up. And I'm like, this is, this is, they gave us the wrong, like, this is not okay. So I go back mm -hmm. and I tell him, Hey, there's somebody in, that is already in this room. So they give me another key in another room. And I, I swear to you, Elijah, I went back and forth to that room five times because they gave me the wrong key five mm. times and i'm the whole time i'm just stressed out everybody's tired i'm angry at this point because i'm like <laughs> this motel six that we're staying at cannot get us the right key i'm like i, I ended up talking to I, was, I feel bad now in hindsight but i was pretty aggressive <laughs> with the lady at the counter i was like listen i have a guitarist who's got to play a show in like an hour and he needs 40 minutes of sleep dang it like i need you to get, <laughs> i need you to get this i was like i'm not walking back up there by myself you're grabbing your key and you're walking up there with me because he's got to get in this room and it ended up working out, but everybody was so stressed out and every, and like, it was, it's a funny story in hindsight, but like we were all on edge and we were all like snapping at each other because everybody was so tired and everybody was ticked off for whatever reason. But you know, after that, the rest of the tour was, was pretty fine except for the incident in Vegas. But, but at the same point, that, that is another example of, uh, not my fault issues that have happened on the road. <laughs> yes. The few, the very few, one of the few, one of the two or three examples that are not my fault issues that happened on the road. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought that would be so crazy being like, here's your hotel room. And then you open it up and it's like, this room is currently occupied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's somebody else was already in there. Yeah. That's, or they didn't clean it. One of the two. But at the same point, it was not cool. <laughs> it was not kosher. Yeah. Someone, either it was occupied or someone felt comfortable leaving their underwear. Exactly. The or they had to leave in a rush or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my uh, goodness. But that is crazy. Changing topics a bit. <clears throat> what is the writing process with Abated Mass of Flesh like? And kind of what do you contribute to that? So when it comes to writing... Um, I will say that most of the writing 
lyrically and um, instrumentally has been done by Zach. Uh, Zach okay. is really, really the key feature in Abated when it comes to the songwriting process, both lyrically and also instrumentally. Uh, a lot of times in a lot of our recordings, actually, uh, Zach will program the drums and uh, okay. record all the guitars and Matt and him will get together and do the vocals. And um, a lot of the material that happens after that is a live version of that. So, um, for instance, uh, the, um, I will say probably 80% of our material has been written solely by Zach. Um, okay. And the rest of it has been done throughout through the band. And what we'll do as a band, if we are getting together to write or to work out new riffs and stuff like that, is typically what will happen is the riff will come first um or the idea the concept you know do we want to mm -hmm. do a slam song do we want to uh, like a black metal like fast song are we looking for something that's a little bit more thrashy um what are we looking to to create out of this song you know have we done a slam a, a song a slow slam song recently you know is this something that we want to push and and dive in this aspect of it or is it something that we want to try something different with are we looking for a little bit more tech death um uh, Thomas is a lot more technical when it comes to his guitar playing. Uh, he's yeah. big fan. He's, you know, of course we, we use eight string guitars. Um, and so a full extended range. Um, and Thomas as a lead player is a lot more into uh, working out the technical side of it. Yeah. A lot of the material that we've done in the past has been very sludgy and slammy and uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I think a lot of the new abated that you'll see, whether it's live or um or recorded is going to be a little bit more on the technical side uh, yeah. versus the uh the sludgy slammy kind of raw size but i will say one of our favorite our favorite aspects of abated is the the low the low i don't want to say low quality but not as processed you know a yeah. lot of metal a lot of and I, I can get down with a lot of metal um but you know when it comes to abated we like the real earthy grindy like almost sounds like it was recorded on your cell phone in a garage <laughs> yeah. kind of just like gross awful horrid just incredibly <laughs> sludgy slam metal and that that is something that just i can you just you just kind of make that face and you just kind of get that stank <laughs> face on and bang your head just yes. a little bit and that is that is one of our favorite styles to write into play so you'll also probably hear a lot of that mixed in with the technical yeah. side of it yeah that makes a lot of sense i think my favorite ep by you guys is i forget the name of it but it's like three very metal sounding words and like every song in the album is basically three very metal sounding words and it's like the album art is like basically someone chopped up with their spirit going yeah up at, yes and well, so it's my, just because it's so raw it's like fantastic raw raw is a way you know a, a lot of times when we get at a show one of the things we'll say is we'll say low and slow boys you know just low and slow that you know just as slow as we can make it because a lot of times energy will just kind of spike at a show and um mm -hmm. but really we want it low we want it heavy we want it to be slow and just just ugh, just gross <laughs> i think that's the best way to put it but yes. yeah absolutely man um the the idea that 
low and slow and raw and intense, just raw and intense. I think that's probably yeah. as, as good as we like doing it. So. Yeah, and then the live album that you guys put together is pretty fantastic too, just because it's got like that really raw element to it. The Descending Upon a Deceased Live? Yeah, that one. So that is funny enough. That was recorded <laughs> in our garage, actually. Okay. That so that was a garage, um, a garage album that was with Max on bass, uh, Thomas, myself, uh, Thomas on lead guitar, myself on drums, Matt on vocals, Zach on guitar, and it was actually recorded uh, by a good friend of ours, Chris Nagy, um, who does a lot of recording in the Middle Tennessee area. I actually play in other bands with him, and um, he's a he's a real great guy. And he showed up, and we set up like raw room mics and like he went in another room and just kind of like walked in and adjusted a few things and just went in another room. I think we had the door open at one point. It was a lot of fun to do, but, fantastic. uh, Oh, just raw and, and brutality, just raw brutality. That's all we were going for. <laughs> and we, I think we achieved it. So yes, indeed. Nice. Uh, that's probably a good spot to close us off. We've been going for about an hour. You've got a journey to continue. Before you head off, what can folks be praying for and what do you want to plug? Well, um, probably the thing that uh, people can be praying for, uh, for me personally and for Abated as, as a group, you know, um, you know, just to find time to get together and mm-hmm. uh, fellowship, uh, not only with ourselves, but with our family, with our friends. Uh, this pandemic uh, has, you know, up until recently has been the forefront of all everybody's news. And of course, you know, you have other things in the news right now, but at the same point, um, you know, pray for, pray for the people of Ukraine, uh, pay, pray for abated as a, as a band that we continue to continue to be able to put out brutal material and, and the safety for all of our mem all of our members and, uh, our members family. Um, I'd like to plug, uh, you know, one of the things that we're doing pretty soon is, is really exciting. Um, you know, it's coming up uh, just a little bit over a little bit over a decade now of abated, uh, which is super okay. cool. And uh, 2023 is going to be a decade of myself and uh, Thomas being in the band. Uh, but we have a really cool, really cool thing coming up. Uh, that is that is going to be, as you know, something to do with a decade. So. Uh, keep an eye out. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Spotify and all that fun stuff, and we'll be able to keep you updated from there. Yes, looking forward to it. I've really enjoyed this. Elijah, it's been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Maybe we'll talk again sometime. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Anytime you want to talk, hit me up, man. It would be a good time. Okay, and if you guys ever come to Scotland, I will get my face there. Absolutely, man. We'll, we'll, we'll come sleep on your couch. yes i see you later all right thanks elijah bye if you listened all the way through that thank you so much um shout out to zach because he asked for a cheeky wee shout out so here it is and yeah thank you folks for listening and i'll see you guys in the next episode